grace and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is Ephesians chapter 2. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And these are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And dear fellow redeemed in Christ, the more we allow ourselves to be divided into different tribes based on differences of ethnicity, skin color, male or female, the more we provide a target-rich environment for the temptations of Satan. Satan loves when there is division. He loves when people grow to hate each other. The devil loves when a family, a church, a country is torn apart. These three estates are the building blocks of stability. To disrupt them is to disrupt society and leave people open to the predations of the wolves. Paul, when writing to the church in Ephesus back in the middle of the first century, saw how Jew and Gentile were at odds with each other. He wrote to bring peace, to undo the alienation, the fractures between them. He did so by teaching them where the real unity is, the foundation of God's word, with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. We need this message from St. Paul with his words, inspired by God the Holy Spirit. This word is what repairs the divisions, the fractures, the alienation between us and God, between us and each other. And how does this happen? Well, Paul points us to Jesus. In times of societal confusion and disruption, people look for something to hold on to, to something that can provide a stability, a foundation. The prophet Jeremiah directed the people of Jerusalem to exactly that stability in a time of their impending doom. <clears throat> he told them, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. He pointed them time after time to the path of safety. And what was the response? Well, at the very end of that verse I just quoted, we read, but they said, we will not walk in it. The people rejected the promises of God, the old paths, and walked in the ways of the world, of novel ways that would bring only further despair and death. They rejected the prophetic word that pointed to a coming time of severe trial. They presumed they were safe in their self-chosen works and idols. They saw no need for those old paths. Paul writes so that the Ephesians may be saved from such a fate he knows the tragic outcome that befell those people. And he contrasts the Ephesians' former status as strangers to their current status. You are members of the household of God. How had their status changed? Well, Paul had just written earlier in chapter 2 of Ephesians, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Yes, there had been that status of stranger and foreigner, but that is gone. Paul put it another way, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One in Christ, one in standing on the foundation of God's word, the apostles and the prophets united in trusting in the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. All those who hate the triune God and his works for the salvation of souls know the key part that Jesus Christ has. He is called the cornerstone because he ties everything together and keeps it true. A consequence of that is that Jesus becomes the primary target for those who desire to bring disruption to the Holy Christian Church. The biblical teaching of who Jesus is has been under fire since the days of the apostles. In the centuries of the early church, the questions of Christology forced the church to be more precise in her confession of Jesus. Is he true God? Is he true man? Is he eternal? Could he suffer? Could he die? At the Reformation, there was the question, if he's true man, how can his body be in the bread of the Lord's Supper? What was at stake in these doctrinal disputes was salvation, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. Paul understood the crucial role, the irreplaceable role of Jesus Christ for the church. Without him, true God and true man, there is no Christian church. The early church understood what was at stake. And the question for us always is, do we? It is incumbent upon the church, her theologians and teachers, pastors and people, to confess Christ clearly, unambiguously, unequivocally, with precision. The only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. These words of the Nicene Creed are a confession our brothers and sisters in Christ died for, and it is the faith they died in. They are not the words of, of a creative-minded pastor who thought up a novel confession on a Saturday night to put before his congregation the next day. These are words with a 1,500-year history, attested and confessed through the centuries by millions of our brothers and sisters. We include them deliberately in our book of Concord to show forth our commitment to confessing the faith handed down to us. And why? Well, because it is the truth about Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the truth that our world still needs. The word of God, the prophets and apostles with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone remains the foundation for the message of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. It is Christ who heals divisions, who shows through his own sacrificial death that he came for all, not some. As Isaiah put it, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He came for you, to make you part of the household of God, his family. This truth of Jesus Christ meets opposition. 
The antagonism toward Christ and the church's confession of him is not a mere historical inquiry. It is one that affects the church, believers to this day. Christ is hated by the world. Those who confess Christ receive the same treatment. And therefore, we are asked to be sure that we believe what we say about Jesus because it is no game but a matter of eternity. Our confession of Jesus Christ is more than information. It is a statement of the lifeblood of the church, and it is one which I pray we will remain in until the end of our lives. I pray that you and I may make the same bold confession as did Martin Luther in his small called articles when he wrote, and which we still confess. These are the articles on which I must stand, and on which I intend to stand, God willing, until my death. I can neither change nor concede anything in them. God bless you with a bold confession of Jesus Christ, his saving work for you, for this world. Through faith in him alone do you receive the grace and mercy of God. O grant that in thy holy word we here may live and die, dear Lord. And when our journey endeth here, receive us into glory there. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Rise and let us pray. <clears throat> Lord God, Heavenly Father, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, having allowed ourselves to be led away from the right path by Satan and our own sinful flesh. 
we beseech you graciously to forgive us all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, and enliven our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we may abide in your word and in true repentance and a steadfast faith continue in your church unto the end and obtain eternal salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.